Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Grassroots Marketing. Each episode curates thought-provoking dialogue with an exclusive class of thought leaders who will offer high-end roundtable business strategies and solutions that seek to prune and harvest great ideas in each 30-minute episode. Thought leaders in the cannabis industry convene here to share some of their best practices and protocols. Let's chart the growth of this burgeoning industry, one of the world's premier cash crops, right now on Grassroots Marketing. Let's have a discussion on the legal side of cannabis here on Grassroots Marketing here on CannabisRadio.com. I'm really glad to have all of you join us for the program. My next guest is a nationally recognized cannabis lawyer who most recently joined a new firm, Holland & Hart, to launch their cannabis practice. And joining me right now is a partner and leader of the firm's cannabis group for Holland & Hart, Rachel Gillette. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Nice to be here. Thank you. My pleasure. So let's go ahead and uh, give your credentials, more or less. Uh, 
you're one of the country's first lawyers to dedicate your practice to cannabis law. Nationally ranked as a band one cannabis lawyer in Chambers, USA, you have over a decade of experience in helping clients navigate complex regulatory, financial, and operational challenges. You've worked with startups, established cannabis oper operators, investors, ancillary businesses, and all points along the cannabis industry supply chain. So talk to me, and we've had a number of uh, attorneys that have joined us here on the program at, you know, different parts of the uh, country. And I want to know about what you think, and I usually like to ask this, uh, about the complexity of managing cannabis industry clients while dealing without a real uniform set of laws or regulations and codes to refer from. Sure. Well, as I'm sure you're aware, and a lot of your listeners are aware, uh, cannabis remains federally illegal. And uh, we have legal cannabis in the United States via state law and local laws, and there's a patchwork of state and local laws that regulate uh, cannabis. So uh, you have to be sort of up on all the latest developments, latest and greatest in any particular state, even in any particular jurisdiction. And that's why uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for the people that operate in this space because it is very complex and there are a lot of uh, laws and regulations that they have to follow. Now. In the same vein, at your practice, it would be much different when you're starting up a cannabis practice. You would probably need either your paralegals or legal secretaries to really stay abreast of what's going on in the news and also have to filter what news might be propagandistic or could be you know, misleading and also being very opinionated and editorial in the same sense. That must be something that also has to come with the territory. Yeah, well, it actually makes the practice of law in this area incredibly fun because it's a, an incredibly dynamic area of practice. So things are changing every single day in the world of cannabis. And when I say the world of cannabis and the law of cannabis, you're mm -hmm. talking about um, pretty much every area of practice. So remember, these are businesses, so they have needs in um you know, corporate, uh, employment law, IP, general business. I mean, everything you can think of um, is going to be touching these businesses. So they need really full service when it comes to legal services. And that's mm -hmm. why a firm like Hogan and Hart is, is great because we have those resources. But then you um, have to basically have your head on a swivel. At all times, it's not like it's just a standard set of law. Here's the here's the Westlaw books. You know this statute. You know this number, chapter, and verse. There are just changes so often in every state without any – even the compliance standards are not even uniform to keep that up and to learn what changes might be made and to find out what latest cases might have come across that might have changed precedent. has to be a little complex, I would imagine. It's definitely complex, but it's also fun and interesting. Because it's, it's not sort of like the same thing that happens every day in my practice. We're oh, not, doing, not formulaic, right. I can understand yes, that part. Doing Man, that's a lot of work. <laughs> every day. And, and yes, we do have to make sure that we have the latest information. We make sure we check the laws and we're up to date with all the laws. Because even when you get that, you know, LexisNexis book of Colorado laws and regulations for 2021, chances are by the time it's published, it's out of date. So you still have to go and make sure you're looking at the, the most recent uh, iterations of, of laws in any particular state yeah. um, or local jurisdiction. So in a recent press release announcing your appointment not too long ago, uh, 
You mentioned how you draw on experience interfacing with regulators and taxing authorities in multiple jurisdictions to counsel clients how to obtain licenses and permits and guides client, guiding clients through tax audits, challenges, and adjustments at the local, state, and federal levels. Talk to me about so far about some of the notable issues that you have handled in your previous run uh, with other firms, and now the majority of issues you normally have, the majority of the time you deal with for clients. Sure. So a large area of my practice is focused on representing cannabis businesses in uh, their tax matters. Mm -hmm. And that would include local, state, and federal tax matters. So cannabis businesses, like any other business in the U.S., have to file federal tax returns. They have to pay federal taxes. Unfortunately, there's a provision of the tax code known as 280E, which you may have heard of. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners have heard of. But essentially, it says that if you're in the business of trafficking in a controlled substance, Schedule 1, Schedule 2, you can't take your ordinary or necessary business deductions. And so um, they face unique challenges when it comes to preparing, filing, bookkeeping, um, anything related to tax. And it's actually quite um, complicated and complex, I would say, um, how to approach 280E, what may or may not be an allowed expense if you're a cannabis business, either as a cost of goods sold or what might be disallowed under 280E. There isn't a lot of expertise out there. I've been representing cannabis businesses in tax audits uh, in front of the IRS for about 11 years now. So I have a lot of experience in how the IRS approaches these businesses. Um, what are some of the pitfalls um, that businesses have when it comes to um, 280E and the preparation of their tax returns. Um, I don't want to get into the, the oh, tax no, no. code or anything. No, no, but what but I do want to ask about with 280E, I do yeah. want to follow up on that, Rachel. So sure. we know that, uh, and this, I'm taking from the taxfoundation.org, uh, they mentioned how the most recent draft of legislation, the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, which is asking for federal descheduling of marijuana, uh, it would impact all states, but uh, it does not deschedule marijuana in states in which they choose to keep their own ban. And they okay. mentioned the fact of how descheduling uh, will have an effect on the marijuana businesses operating in states that already have legalized use, normalizing income tax treatment, opening access to capital, permitting interstate commerce and cannabis, an excise tax uh, with a very rate of 10% in the first year, 25% in the fifth year. Uh, there's that option, or there's the option that was made from the Moore Act, which would be scheduled and tax marijuana, and that would mean that existing businesses would benefit by no longer being subject to Section 280E, which was enacted in 1982, to deny the deduction of business expenses to those selling drugs on Schedules 1 and 2 of the Controlled Substances Act. So uh, this uh, would limit the, limit the deductions businesses can take while calculating their income tax liability. We keep looking at possible repeals. This is a constant thing. Hell, you know, we, we had our conference series uh, that Cannabis Radio hosted, the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo, and every time we had to talk about 280E. And really mm -hmm. feeling that like there's just no end in sight that ultimately there's nothing that can be done until a legalization comes in. Until then, um, I mean, it does keep you pretty busy on that end. That's true. I mean, this to get rid of 280E requires congressional action either by descheduling cannabis, meaning removing it from a Schedule 1 or Schedule 2, um, or 
they could potentially change the tax code and change 280E. Um, they could change the way it's written so that if it's legal under state law, there's really one word that's operative here because <laughs> it says, mm -hmm. uh, you know, says basically you don't get your ordinary and necessary business deductions if you're trafficking in Schedule One or Schedule Two. That's illegal under state or federal law. If they change that to an and, that would require it to be illegal under both. Um, so, yes, I mean, the, it, it's going to take that to change 280E. So the descheduling would solve a problem that would absolutely mean that 280E would no longer be applicable. Um, or changing the tax code. Um, and then, you know, potentially policy or, you know, a, a policy of non-enforcement. I mean, to me... Well, actually, can I ask you about that? The non-enforcement sure. issue. That's the thing I want to bring up as well. And yeah. this same story from the Tax Foundation. They mentioned that it should be included in any assessment of 280E that a repeal and normal access to banking is likely to increase taxpayer compliance by existing companies. But a report from the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration found significant compliance issues in underreporting of income under the current system. So with that, we still have compliance issues that are going to be brought on board. There's no, So talk to me about what that kind of uh, dilemma would create because of the fact that if they are going to make this change, that you know, it's making sure the government gets their take. I actually think the government would collect more tax revenue from cannabis businesses if they got rid of 280E, and there's a few reasons for that. One, I mean, it, it really um, does not allow these businesses to grow and basically become bigger businesses that pay more taxes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the second thing is it's a subsidy for the black market. So it really actually, people in the black market um, don't, are not facing enforcement and, and the IRS going after them for 280E compliance. So they're, they're basically able to sell their product at a lower cost than a licensed cannabis business that does face the challenge of 280E. So I actually think the government is unwittingly providing a subsidy to the black market and keeping the black market, you know, to some extent surviving because of this archaic tax policy. So I actually think that there will be more tax revenue if we if we diminish the black market and take away that competitive advantage and and essentially allow businesses to be taxed like any other business would be taxed I, um, just politicians just don't get it right i am just God, right man such but you <sighs> yeah you mentioned too the TIGTA report the treasury inspector general's report yes and and you know the the bottom line is that that banking has a lot to do with that because this is a cash intensive business because cannabis businesses are underbanked. There are banks that will serve the cannabis industry, but there are, are not enough banks to serve this industry and how large it is. Which will be resolved so, with the Safe Banking Act, but we're not getting to that right. yet either. So. Exactly. Yeah. So cannabis businesses remain cash intensive. Whenever you have a cash intensive business, there's the opportunity for skimming, there's underreporting of income, all of those things exist because it's a cash-based business. Giving access to banking for the cannabis industry, I think would really get rid of some of those issues as well. So to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> because the federal government isn't, as obviously has decided not to interfere with states that are, that have, where the voters or the legislators have chosen to legalize cannabis, which I think is the right thing to do. 
But at the same time, they're still enforcing these archaic policies like 280E. They're still restricting banks and making it very difficult for banks to bank these businesses. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that causes a lot of problems that don't help anybody, including the, the regulators and those that are in law enforcement. So having, having, let me just finish. Sure, sure, sure. Having sure. represented so many businesses over the last 11 years in IRS tax audits, and I've had businesses that have had 15 different bank accounts during the time that the, oh. the audit is, oh. I've had businesses that are completely unbanked. It is much better for a business to have normalized banking relationship and be, and it's better for everybody <laughs> that that takes place. Sounds like logic, issue. Rachel. It sounds logical, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Now, here's the other thing I got to mention too. Talking about logical, even within your own, the, the, for those that practice alongside other attorneys, not necessarily in your practice or what you're doing, but an interesting story from Bloomberg Law. They mentioned this quote. Ethical and legal snags abound for lawyers representing cannabis industry clients and the growing number of states where cannabis is legal, requiring extra due diligence to ensure compliance. And attorneys familiar talked about this business to Bloomberg Law. You said to them, quote, over and over lawyers in newly legalized states dipping their toes into what they would call cannabis law. Really, cannabis is an industry. And just because you practice criminal defense, DUI defense, or personal injury law, that does not mean you should now hang your shingle as a cannabis lawyer. I love that you said that. And I just I wanted to get you know, to expand on the fact of who are some of the, just like any other industry, there's also, you know, obviously corporate America wants to embed themselves in the industry. And other people want to make their inroads in before legalization. Talk to me about what you're seeing right now of the kind of, uh, the types that are making their way into the cannabis industry from the legal end and, you know, just to get they could just attach it, like they said, shingle as a cannabis lawyer. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what cannabis law is. <laughs> right. Yes, there is. a Like, I do think lawyers could provide assistance in helping people understand newly drafted laws and regulations because everybody's learning in that. It, that respect. Um, but the, the, what I see often is in some of these new legalized states, you have attorneys that have practiced criminal defense who now put on their business hat. And I'm not saying they can't learn corporate law because certainly attorneys are smart people and they can. But if you're not skilled and versed in corporate law, then may, and you're, you've, you've been trained in criminal defense, um, you may need to uh, work with other lawyers that have those skills to be able to represent those clients. And so, you know, unfortunately, I see a lot of situations where um, lawyers are, you know, sort of practicing outside of their, their practice area. Well, they're also not trial lawyers, correct? They're more, more mediators, more, you know, negotiable, trying to go and work for their clients to make a better deal for them and trying to get some kind of a settlement, things like that. So it's never where they're even in front of a jury. Well, let's just say, you know, if you're forming a company, that requires <clears throat> some acumen when it comes to corporate formation and okay. business law. If you're drafting a, an operating agreement or a shareholder's agreement, usually you have to have some experience in that type of practice. And so that's one of the reasons I actually joined um, Holland and Hart was because they have a depth of 
knowledge and a lot of attorneys that have those types of skills that can really help serve my clients who really need corporate lawyers, litigation, and they need employment lawyers. They need, and, and really, the, beware of the lawyer that's a jack of all trades. Because right. when we graduate law school, here's the little secret. We don't know how to practice law. You have to learn how to practice law. And you do that through experience. And so, and, and the law is broad and it's got a lot of depth. So, you, you know, that's why attorneys focus on different particular areas. So just because you have had experiences with cannabis doesn't necessarily mean that you can be, you know, represent a cannabis business in all things <laughs> is, yeah. was my point. So, you know. I want to ask you now also about your roots in the industry itself, that you're not just practicing because you've also been very well embedded into different organizations and advocacy groups. Uh, you serve for the Colorado chapter of Normals executive director, national organization. So you worked with them. You worked as a founding member of Women Grow. We've, we've had quite a few people from Women Grow on the network for the last five years or so. Uh, the National Cannabis Bar Association, now the International Cannabis Bar Association. Uh, the organizations that come together and those that are able to go ahead and get the ears of politicians. Um, I want to know if there's anything you could say about the kind of effort that's being done where the legal industry, the legal part of the industry, those that are doing cannabis practice and being able to go ahead and work together and mediate to try to get legalization passed, lobbying efforts, if you will. Talk to me about sure. you know what's being done on that end and what you've seen so far. If you feel there's a better um, there's a better camaraderie, if you feel like there's more of an alliance being formed, what you think about some of the alliances that have been made with some of the members of the alcohol and tobacco industry embedded in through, say, CPAIR or the U.S. Cannabis Council. Talk to me about what you're looking at right now from that standpoint. Sure. I mean, I've always been an advocate first. So um, <clears throat> one of the reasons I'm very passionate about cannabis law is because, and I was before a lot of people were willing to dip their toes into it, is because I've always been an advocate for the legalization of cannabis and the end of federal prohibition of cannabis. And that remains something that I continue to um, pursue. I have to give a shout out to the organization known as Normal because Normal has been around longer than any other organization that I can think of. Right. Um, the National Organization to Reform Marijuana Laws has been around. I think they're, they're gonna be up to 50 years very soon. So they've been out there and outspoken about the legalization of cannabis before it was cool and before it was popular and before that people even thought that it could be legalized at the state level. Um, so being involved in an organization like that has been fabulous. I will say there's a lot of camaraderie with um, other colleagues that practice in this area, but also people who have been trying to end prohibition like criminal defense lawyers. Normal has an incredible group of lawyers um, that I have worked with, that I know, that I that I go to legal conferences with. They have a great legal conference in Key West every year in December that uh, I'll be speaking about ethics there. Oh, um, and it's a great place to go. Um, obviously, Key West is a lot of fun, and it's a great group, oh, yeah. group of lawyers. So there are so many people that continue this work. And Really, it's about education. It's about educating the policymakers, the legislators, your neighbor, the people who still think marijuana is, you know, 
horrible and bad, you know, the, the save the children people, the people who want it to be recriminalized in states. We have to continue having those conversations. Yeah. So there's a role to play for all of these different organizations, um, including groups like the liaison group, which is a, a group that's lobbying on federal Capitol Hill every day. These other organizations, National Cannabis Bar Association, that, that's a group of lawyers that we, you know, have a listserv. We talk about things. We, we, um, you know, are constantly asking each other questions and sharing information. All of that stuff is very, very important um, because we're we all have voices and we all have different contacts and we're speaking with everybody um, to to make sure that they're educated on on this topic and why we think the end of federal prohibition is a good idea, uh, and it's a good idea for everyone. So let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up here and talk about Holland Hart, which uh, we know that is, a uh, website is hollandhart.com, H-O-L-A-N-D-H-A-R-T.com. And you have also a uh, number of places, definitely on the West Coast, uh, Anchorage, Aspen, Billings, Boise, Boulder, Cheyenne, Denver, Jackson Hole, Las Vegas, Reno, Salt Lake City, Santa Fe, and, and also in D.C. as well. One of the few firms, all, one of the few practices that does it in office of Washington, D.C. And your multidisciplinary cannabis industry team leverages deep expertise in a variety of highly regulated areas to holistically support the legal and business needs of clients operating, developing products, investing, or evaluating potential opportunities in this ever rapidly evolving industry. So as we wrap things up, talk to me about the uh, or again, just kind of the menu of services you provide for clients and how they can reach out to your team. Sure. We are a full-service law firm. Um, we, like I said, I do a lot of work in the area of tax, and I can represent uh, cannabis businesses um, in tax matters in front of the IRS in all 50 states. We have a number of offices in the Western region and in different states that have cannabis. We have a depth of knowledge, a fabulous corporate team, an incredibly knowledgeable tax team, both federal, corporate, and state and local tax issues. Um, we have a great IP practice, including IP litigation. That's been a sort of a hot topic in the world of cannabis is how to protect your IP, given it remains federally illegal, in particular trademarks. Um, we have great employment lawyers. I mean, we truly are a full service law firm. And that's, that's one of the reasons I was so excited to lead up the cannabis industry group here. Because, I mean, the, the amount of uh, talent that exists in this firm is, is pretty impressive. And I'm really, really happy to be here, um, for sure. And to get in touch with me, so we have a cannabis group. Um, I have three associates that I work closely with. Obviously, we have over 400 lawyers in our in our firm in different areas of practice. Um, I can be reached at, uh, my email is probably the best way to reach me, which is rkgillette, G-I-L-L-E-T-T-E, at hollandhart.com, and that's H-A-R-T. Fantastic. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for making the time to join us here again. Uh, Rachel Gillette, join me here, a partner with Holland and Hart and leader of the firm's cannabis group. I wish you all the best of success, and uh, hopefully get to see you down the road on the trade shows. Thank you so much, George. I appreciate it.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.